This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome, listeners, to another Voices of Vapors podcast series where we explore tobacco harm reduction products. Now, e-cigarettes first hit the market in 2007, and since their implementation, they've come under a lot of regulations that have came down from the federal, state, and local governments. There's an estimated 10 million vapors in the United States, and 3 million of which have successfully quit smoking using um, electronic cigarettes and vaping devices. In one of the largest surveys of nearly 70,000 American adult vapors, almost 95% of the respondents were ever smokers. So there, there is some efficacy of these being very successful cessation devices. Today, I've got AJ Mole with me. He's an executive director of the Missouri Smoke Free. It's a nonprofit organization with the mission to promote science, health, and legal aspects of vapor products through advocacy and education. He's a member in good standing with Consumer Advocates for Smoke Free Alternatives Association, or CASA. You might have remembered Alex Clark joined us on an earlier podcast this year. He's former vice president of media relations for Bi State Regional Advocates for Vaping Education, or BRAVE. He manages social media accounts, external communications, provides written and oral testimony for municipalities, and handles all media inquiries, including coming on podcasts. Um, AJ actually quit smoking eight years ago. His town was inundated with one of those awesome government regulations and went smoke-free. And um, he actually uses both sm- uh, vapor products and Swedish snus. He's a consumer and an advocate, and he's extensively reviewed the science of THR products and endorses their use. Thanks for coming on, AJ. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Yeah, it's always great to get, I, especially with the state. I like the state-level stuff. So I always ask everybody on the show, and I kind of gave it a little bit away in your introduction, but how did you find yourself as a vaping advocate and getting so passionate about it? Uh, it's, it's quite simple. Uh, eight years ago, I was uh, smoking, uh, addicted, couldn't quit, and my hometown of O'Fallon, Missouri, decided to go smoke-free. So after work, I would go to the pub and have a beer, uh, smoke cigarettes, and all of a sudden, the municipality said, you can't do that here anymore. So it's like, what's the point of going out to the pub (laughs) if I can't have a cigarette? And it was just around that time. So we're going back, what's this is 20, almost 2019 now. So this is 2011, I would guess, that uh, e-cigarettes were just becoming popular. And they were very, uh, they were first generation devices. They didn't work all that great, but it, it worked out for me. Yeah. And immediately I could quit. There was no, hardly any uh, regulation from government at that time. The bar that I went to said, yeah, it's not a cigarette. You're not breaking the law. Go ahead and use it. And so just by using it at that bar, I realized this product's working for me because if you can drink and smoke at the same time, uh, you, uh, you really like they synergize uh, alcohol and tobacco. Yeah. So if I'm drinking alcohol and using this device, this vapor product, and it's working out for me, what about the rest of my, my day? And so from there on out, it's like I'm done smoking. No, that's awesome. So it was that simple. And then we started seeing regulation and uh, municipal bans. And it's like, what's going on here? Like, this is the greatest miracle invention 
of uh, my lifetime, and you want to take that away from people. So that's when I started uh, all this. <laughs> yeah, we're well. We're happy that you're you're on board. It's definitely a battle. So. I'm going to talk a little bit about Missouri. Now, I'm, you know, I've spent some time in Virginia, otherwise is what I call Marlboro country, and it was like some of the cheapest cigarette uh, taxes in the country. But the Show Me State really um, surprised me with its easy attitude towards um, cigarettes. And y'all have some of the lowest taxes in the country as well, but um, you also have a unique law that separates vaping from cigarette smoking. Um, can you talk about that? And can you also talk a little bit about uh, Missouri Smoke Free and some of the battles you've had to face um, since becoming an advocate? And um, what do you expect to come out of the General Assembly in 2019? Sure. So, um, wow, that was a lot. Sorry. <laughs> no. Um, well, let's talk oh, about your okay. vaping law first. Like, um, that you, well, the... I, I, I got it processed. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> So the state of Missouri has the very lowest uh, tobacco tax in the entire country. We're at 17 cents a pack. And, yeah, we keep seeing every so often that special interest groups want to raise that. They put it to a statewide vote. And we never raise the tax on a pack of cigarettes. Missouri is a very conservative state. We have a Republican governor. We have... Uh, both majority control in the House and the Senate, and less tax and less regulation is how Missouri operates outside of three cities, uh, three very liberal cities at St. Louis, Columbia, and Kansas City. And outside of those three cities, we've been very relaxed attitudes and uh they've been it's it's been very good in Missouri. Uh, as far as the 2019 uh, upcoming session, I don't see anything harmful coming out, but I mean, you never know. You just you, you keep an eye on it. You keep uh, uh, relationships with legislators and see what happens. No, it's great that, to know I have to cover about 15 states. So that's a state I don't have to really keep an uh, monitor on, unlike California. Um, so, okay, you're an avid researcher on all things vaping related. Um, let's talk about some of the most recent data on youth and e-cigarettes. Um, both the National Youth Tobacco Survey and the Monitoring the Future Survey found increases in youth vaping over the past year. I've done the research a little bit, and I have some major issues with their findings, but can you explain to our listeners like why some of this data is um, fundamentally flawed? Sure. The The major problem is um, with, uh, okay, so these surveys, if you can remember back to your days in high school and middle school, I, I sort of do. Uh <laughs> They would hand out a survey and they'd say, fill this out. Have you ever tried uh, alcohol? Well, yeah, I, I tried it. Did you ever try marijuana? No, I've never tried it. Uh, in the past 30 days, have you ever done X? And so you have to realize we're talking about teenagers who like to experiment, but that doesn't necessarily equal habitual use uh, and harm because exposure equals harm correct so if you do if you do, if you take one drink at a party 30 days ago you're not a raging alcoholic and so they're doing the same thing with vapor products uh they're making their data inflated uh you have to also realize that when we look at high school seniors the majority of high school seniors are 18 and they are in fact adults who can legally access some of these products. So 
if these surveys were to ask, and they have not, do you vape daily? Are you a habitual user? Then we would see real data. Trying once at a party isn't giving us the data that we need to see. Is this a concern? Sure, the numbers are going up for vaping, but I don't I don't know that that's necessarily giving us what we need to know. If the if the daily vaping rate is going up, fine, but isn't the availability of the product uh, more so nowadays? I mean, if if I did a survey and said have you ever used a cell phone? And we did this in uh, 2000 compared to 2010. Yeah. You're going to see skyrocketing use because the technology is now available. Does that make sense? Yep. Well, okay. And you bring up the, okay, so these seniors can legally access these products. What is One of the arguments about Tobacco 21 is that very thing is that you have these kids in high school that can legally access these products and then I guess go sell it on the black market to minors. Um, do you think that if, you know, changing the age from 18 to 21 will have a mitigating effect on youth, you know, e-cigarette use? Now, any if a youth wants access to a product, they're going to find their way to it. You're talking to somebody who was 17 years old who used to go drink in bars, and no, I didn't have a fake ID. I just was able to do it. So, Tobacco 21 laws—they're not really—they're not working. They're actually working against us. What I would recommend, and uh, I know this might sound a little bit harsh, but we, we only have uh, sales bans right now on tobacco products. And what we need to be having is holding some of the youth accountable, just like they do with alcohol. Yeah. You cannot use the product. You cannot possess the product. But what do we see instead? We see a sales ban. So we're putting all of the fault on to retailers. Yep. Yeah, and I, that's interesting too. I always make that point: is that well, you know, why aren't you holding the responsibility to the youth, or even more more importantly, the parents? I mean, I got caught smoking in high school. My parents searched my backpack coming and going, you know, and like stole my cigarettes actually. But um, I think that there's a there is a lack now. Am I wrong to assume that um, the campaign for tobacco free kids and all the powers that be that you know the anti smoking zealots? Aren't they the ones who are not pushing for fines, though, on youth, like getting, you know, youth using these products that they want it so youth can't use these products, but they don't want to punish them if they do get caught using these products? Absolutely. I've seen many uh, local bills where the, the, the city council will say we would like to give a fine for the use or the possession and all of a sudden, and I'm not going to call them out by name, but it's special interest health groups that go in and say, well, we're going to kill the bill. We only wanted a sales ban. So they're, they're yeah, they're against fining or holding our kids responsible. Yeah. No, okay. I always find it curious too. One of the big arguments, and I keep seeing it, and I'm even looking at data right now from the CDC that they there's this argument that youth are gonna they're gonna become addicted to like, jeweling or vaping or whatnot, and then they're gonna be using combustible cigarettes. When I look at the when I look at the numbers on a graph. You see, yes, there are more kids vaping, but um, cigarette use is actually consistently going down. Um, do, you, do you know of any studies that are actual legit studies that find that there is an increased risk of using combustible cigarette products after being introduced to vaping products? Uh, no, no, I don't. Yeah. Uh, we, keep, we keep hearing that uh, 
that uh, youth are trying e-cigarettes and then they're four times more likely to smoke a tobacco cigarette. But what you don't see, and this is the honest truth, is risk-taking teens might try one thing, they're likely to try another thing. So if I was a risk-taking teen and I tried alcohol, I'm more likely to try marijuana. But uh, correlation is not causation. So the same youth who doesn't do anything is likely not to do anything because they're just not risk takers. And when we look at that data, we're seeing smoking rates among our youth are at the lowest in history. I mean, when I started this, we were 15% of high school youth were smoking cigarettes. And I believe we're now below 4%. Like that's a markedly huge drop. So vaping's up, but smoking's down. Yep. Yeah, they don't ever give, um, you know, it seems that everything's just alarmism right now and that they're not actually giving any. That should be a really good public health gain, and they're not giving any credit to that. Everything, oh, vaping's up, but they never sit here and say anything about combustible cigarette use. Correct. And when, when you look at these the products, one is uh, just harmful. It's going to kill you. Everybody knows smoking causes death and disease. And you look at vaping and look at the studies, it's at the very least, conservatively, 95% safer than smoking. And then compounded with this, some of these kids, they're not even using nicotine. They got just a little bit of flavor. It's fake smoking. I mean... People yeah. need to recognize there's there's a difference of harm here. Well, even the – I think the surveys are even misleading. So, like, the Monitoring the Future survey found that any, quote, use of vaping nicotine specifically in the 30 days prior to the survey survey nearly doubled for high school seniors from 11% in 2017 to 20.9% in 2018. Now, it doesn't differentiate – experimental use versus daily use but it does go on to sit here and say only three percent three point six percent of high school seniors smoked daily compared to 22.4 percent two decades ago and it's it's, it's amazing that all the new all the news media picked up was the vaping statistic which is very bad statistic correct and then compounding it is they will add into those graphs i was just reviewing some of these graphs this morning they add in vaping of marijuana which has no, no uh, validity to what we're trying to discuss. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you shouldn't use marijuana in any form, but you can't add marijuana use just because you vaped it instead of smoked it and put it into vaping. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay. Um, some of, okay, some of the powers that be have uh, taken to the public and claim that there is an epidemic among uh, youth vaping usage. And um, I'd like you to just kind of discuss what's going on on that level. Um, you know, uh, the Surgeon General um, has had his uh, recently in the past week has done a, 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 a whole bunch of tweets about um, vaping. And uh, I know that there's some background information on him that I think the public would um, really appreciate knowing. Oh, right now, right before we got on this phone call, I'm seeing the Surgeon General. It's from his personal, his private account. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, it, it could be a blast. Uh, I've been having fun all week. It's uh, Jerome Adams, MD, if you want to follow the Surgeon General on his private account. But he, he I, I don't know about this guy. Like, he's got to know better. Is he trolling vapors? 
uh, or does he really want to help? <laughs> I've never met a public official take to Twitter like this. No, <laughs> Gottlieb's not even that bad, actually. <laughs> I mean, usually I fire off a tweet at, at, at uh, a government official. They ignore it. and We go on. This guy's been going for a week on Christmas Eve. Like, it's Christmas Eve, brother. What are you doing? <laughs> So what, I'm Jewish, so, you know, it doesn't matter to me <laughs> on Christmas Eve. Eating Chinese. But Jerome. <laughs> I mean, we're on a first-name basis now. It's me and Jerome. I used to call him the Surgeon General, the most respected doctor in America, and now it's just Jerome the Twitter troll. Did I say that? <laughs> That's not quite all right. We are a libertarian think tank. So. <laughs> he is kind of like Donald Trump on Twitter, though. I was like, wow, this is kind of... Now, where did he come out of? Because it's been like the past week. Like, where where's he been for the past year? I mean, while well, the whole, you know, the media and the FDA has gone out decrying this epidemic. Like, do you know why he's doing it now? No, it, it almost seems like uh, that he's a political pawn, that they gave him the script. This is what you got to do. Go out and say what needs to be done. But on the flip side, to, to take the Twitter like this to kind of dig in and defend your position, I don't know what he's doing. He doesn't have a staffer doing his account. He's actually one of the ones that does his own account tweets. <laughs> well, and uh, I think uh, the director of FDA, Scott Gottlieb, also does his own tweets. I mean, he's kind of uh, an interesting guy, too. He uh, will play with reporters. Uh, some of his uh, most memorable ones have been uh, about uh, eating bad turkey for Thanksgiving or reporters will tweet, uh, they'll uh, tease him about his skinny jeans and they'll respond to him. It's amazing. <laughs> what a time for public health right now. Looking to show off how much you care about freedom? Need a gift for someone? Head to the Heartland Institute store at store.heartland.org for t-shirts, posters, and books all advancing the freedoms you cherish. Grab a bumper sticker and show the world you believe in liberty. Find Heartland books such as Why Scientists Disagree About Global Warming, Power to the People, Nothing to Fear, and the Kid-Friendly Constitution. Grab a Heroes of Freedom t-shirt featuring Ayn Rand, Milton Friedman, Friedrich Hayek, and Martin Luther King Jr., or get one of our always popular Don't Tread on Me shirts with Heartland's unique design. Those will be sure to start a conversation at your next barbecue or at the gym. Your destination for the freedom lovers in your life is the Heartland Store. Go to store.heartland.org and get shopping today. Okay, what do you think this epidemic, though, is doing to the, the, you know, the efficacy of electronic cigarettes? Do you think that it is causing some harm to adult smokers who would be, you know, benefit from this and they might be a little bit hesitant to switch yeah, over? Yeah, well, we really need to look at this word, epidemic. That's, that's a total misuse of the word. An epidemic is when you have a, a double of increase of a disease so you could, that causes harm and death. So you could talk about an epidemic of like AIDS or HIV, uh, smallpox, but you can't talk about vaping. How many people have died from vaping? Uh, Zero, to my knowledge. So they're using this word epidemic because it really like hits home. They did some testing of the words. You know, this is a marketing uh, uh, organization, our federal government, just as much as they're interested in public health. And they did the testing and they found... That word resonated with people. 
epidemic because you're, you're kind of associated with like the opioid, op- opioid epidemic, correct? Yep. So, so there is no epidemic. That's the first thing. And how does it affect vaping and advocacy? Well, the general public who doesn't necessarily understand or do the research. I mean, look, you work a nine to five job, you come home, you sit down on your couch from a hard day of work. And what do you see on TV? It's the Surgeon General. There's an epidemic of e-cigarette use among our youth. And from that, you see small town mayors and council people going, well, we've got to ban this thing. Well, you're not banning cigarettes. Yeah. So it's making it's making uh, life interesting. It is kind of a uh, well. Um, well, maybe you want to explain to our our listeners. I know I know I've done some writing, and anybody that sees what I do at Heartland, can you explain to our listeners like why states are so invested in tobacco and why they really will never ban combustible cigarettes? Sure. There's uh. Well, first of all, they will not ban combustible cigarettes because that's uh federal law and the Tobacco Control Act. Yeah. They they can't ban it. They can they can do a number of different things to make the product less attractive, but you cannot outright ban cigarettes. That's number one. As far as the state level, there's I believe it's 46 states uh, that entered into, and this is 20 years ago. It's called the Master Settlement Agreement. So instead of taking lawsuits here and there from individuals who've had lung cancer and disease and problems by smoking. The tobacco companies settled with the states to, to take care of it for them. And so every time you buy a pack of cigarettes, there's money that's funding the MSA. And then that money is supposed to be used for prevention uh, and treatment of tobacco-related illnesses and, and uptake. And so are the states using the MSA money as they're supposed to? No, they're government officials, and they've taken it and they've diverted it into roads and bridges and whatever. So some of the states where you see that they're squandering the most money, uh, they're really tough on tobacco. They're even tougher on e-cigarettes because that's taking away from their payments. So an e-cigarette doesn't get taxed like a tobacco cigarette, and it's not subject to the MSA. There wasn't e-cigarettes 20 years ago. Compounding the problem is there are states like California who they they bet the farm. They said, well, we know people are always going to smoke. They're addicted. They can't quit. Uh, we're going to take out bonds. So they borrowed money. And now, 20 years later, they don't have the money to pay back these bonds and they're going broke. And, and then here comes e-cigarettes. They're not taxed. So what are you going to do as a state government? You're seeing everybody's quitting smoking. Yep. They finally admit to it now. They used to say e-cigarettes didn't help people quit. Well, now they know that they do. <laughs> they can't. You can only lie so much, right? Yep. <laughs> and uh, they're going after e-cigarettes hardcore because this is taking away from their money. So states are more addicted to tobacco tax than uh, than consumers are addicted to tobacco. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah. No, I think I saw that it was like less than four percent of all the master or all the master settlement um, monies, and then as well as like tobacco taxes was actually going to be put forth towards like cessation and education programs across the states. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. So, 
and, and that's you brought up a really good point there when you're like you can't they can't tell us that it's not easy that, that you know they don't help people quit so i was going through some of the research you know in 2010 um you know fda kind of comes out and they um they actually the warning letters they gave to these com these companies in 2010 on instagram manufacturers these were companies that like vapors will know johnson creek was one of them but it's amazing 2018 now the warning letters have shifted to big tobacco and it's uh, and kind of this whole narrative what do you think um, Big Tobacco's role has been in electronic cigarettes? Do you think they could be an ally, or do you think that um, you know that we need to be wary of them? Sure. So I I hope a lot of your listeners uh, actually are vapors because I see this huge misconception all the time. And uh, trust me, I'm not defending Big Tobacco by any means, but most of the general public who vapes and they're not doing the research, they think that this is a big plot by big tobacco to, to get rid of vapor products. Yeah. So the, the, the notion and the myth is the big tobacco are these evil people and they want to kill off all of their consumers. Does, does that even sound right? No. Yeah. If you're a big corporation, you want to keep your consumers alive, especially if they're sort of, and I'm using air quotes, addicted to a product, you don't want to kill them. So they see vaping as this is a, a good way to switch people from a product that's killing them to a product that's not, but they still really like it. And I wouldn't say addicted anymore when we're talking about vaping, but they become dependent. It'd be like, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a coffee company. Like yep. I could, I could probably go without coffee every day, but no, I'm pretty dependent on it. Right. Yep. <laughs> so, so you got this awesome product that people enjoy and uh, they're they're being uh, they're they're told that that it's killing them, and you switch you know when you switch over to vaping, you can enjoy this this uh, chemical nicotine without dying. Yep. So big big tobacco is not the worst enemy of uh, vaping. It's uh, there's two two entities. It would be government as we just talked about. Yep. And the other is it's pharmaceutical companies. They're really reliant on, on cigarettes staying viable because if, you, you know, the, people say, the doctors say, if you smoke, you're going to die. Yep. Well, do you, do you die tomorrow? Do you die in the next week? No. It's 40, 50 years lifetime use of smoking that some of these diseases will start to present. You get heart disease emphysema, COPD, lung disease, you might need a major surgery, but but you're not dead on the, on the spot. You don't overdose on the cigarettes, right? Yeah. So if you're going to treat people with drugs and, and uh, medicine, well, this is a big boon to your business. And then on top of that, they also sell patches, gums, NRT that, that are ineffective. They don't work. You cannot very rarely people quit smoking with a gum or a patch. So now you have the e-cigarette, which 60, 70% of people can take up and they're done. You're done smoking. You don't need pharmaceutical interventions anymore. You don't get disease. You don't get death. Yep. So that that's who's fighting against e-cigarettes. It's not big tobacco. Yeah. No, I've always thought that too. Now, I, I think that the big tobacco took a little bit to get on. I think they looked at vaping, that it was kind of a gimmick. And then I think they're like, Oh crap! Like th this is really people are really quitting smoking. Like we got to change our model. And you're right. Um, I you know the um, 
Foundation for a Smoke-Free World is I think that they actually have some, you know, they do, they, they need the customers. So they do have a, you know, reason or at least a marketing point to, you know, get profit to change their, you know, quit throwing out combustible cigarettes. So um, how, why do you think that it, all this stuff keeps changing? You know, it first came out that electronic cigarettes weren't safer, you know, they were worse in some of the early media, um, to that they don't help you, they don't help you quit smoking. And then now to this, um, overblown youth vaping, quote unquote, epidemic, um, like, why do you think the narrative keeps changing? And what do you think the next narrative is going to be as far as the fear mongering campaign goes? Sure. So, uh, a few different things. If we look at vaping in the in the in the world view instead of just here in the United States, we'll see that well first there was such a uh, an uptick and uh, people just really took to vaping and we saw numbers skyrocketing. I think we're some the some of the figures say 10 million, some say 11 million vapors in the U.S. alone. But when we when we started out, hard, I was the only guy in town with one of these weird e-cigs and people are looking like, what is that? And does it work for you? And, and now you can't walk down the street and see, see at least one or two people vaping. So now that we have all these people who are testifying and they're saying, I quit smoking with a vapor product, the government can't help but tell the truth because look, if, if you're saying these things don't work, and I'm sitting down to dinner with with uh, my friend Bob, and I said, look, I smoked for 20 years, and I quit immediately. This thing works. They're not going to trust the government anymore. So they had to kind of shift the narrative. They have to acknowledge, yeah, maybe this does help some people quit. Uh, as far as harm minimization, they, they used to, our government was saying, well, there's formaldehyde in there, and there's... Uh, uh, antifreeze in, in the vaping devices, and they were telling half troops. But then over in Europe, England specifically, uh, I believe it was 2015, uh, Public Health England puts out a report. Vaping is at the very least, like it's a conservative estimate, 95% safer than smoking. And then a year later, the Royal College of Physicians, which this is like the CDC of England, a uh, major organization. They actually found the link between lung cancer and smoking two years before our own Surgeon General did. So they're highly respectable, and they're coming out with the same very conservative figure, 95% safer than smoking. Yep. So what does that do over in the U.S.? Because, hey, we're in a global society now. We we read what goes on. At any minute of the day, we know what goes on. So you can't lie to your citizens anymore. Yeah. So... What's left? The children. Yep. <laughs> Who doesn't love children? <laughs> I mean, I have a couple myself. I love the children. But you're using them as shields to hide behind the children. The children. What about the adults? Yeah. The, the ones that are going to die from smoking. Yeah. So my view, and this has not been the view of our government in the U.S., view of the uh, government in the U.K., is let's not lie to kids. Let's tell them the truth. Uh, this product, the cigarette, will kill you. Use it as directed. It'll kill you. It's addictive. Here on the other end of the spectrum is this vaping device, which is at least 95% safer. And it's not going to kill you. Yeah. 
obviously the best thing to do is nothing. But if you're going to X, because there are risk-taking teenagers, here's your options. And they've done this with sex ed. Yep. Obviously, not having sex is the safest thing to do. But if you're going to, here is uh, a contraceptive that will protect you, a condom. So yep. you tell kids the truth. Yeah. Well, I think it just comes down, I think, in America, especially um, when you're looking at the opioid crisis and everything, there is this hypocrisy and harm reduction that we want. And, you know, they want, you know, San Francisco wanted to put out the needle, or I think they did, you know, clean needle shelter for um, people addicted to heroin. Um, but then at the same time, they banned flavors and um, electronic cigarettes and um, well, and menthols well, and combustible cigarettes. So it's amazing that they, they'll accept, especially the Democrats will accept harm reduction on one end of the spectrum, but they're not accepting it on the other spectrum and what's amazing with them too is that you know democrats tend to you know go after you to know, represent poor people so to speak their constituency tend to smoke you would want them to be like healthier and have them to have this viable option of harm reduction yeah i think it's a huge misconception uh i i was never a political person until i started vaping <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't have a twitter account until i started vaping nice um <laughs> I was always I was a lifelong Democrat. Uh, that that's my party, like you said, it's for blue collar working class people. They're going to fight for the poor and whatever. And as I got into vaping and advocacy, I found wow, this is totally the opposite. Yeah, they might play like that and tell people we're we're the party of the minority, but they're the ones who are taking all the money from the pharma companies. Yep. Yep. Oh, and yeah. it's the Republican Party who's supposedly is supposed to be for the old rich white guy uh, in big, huge business. They're actually the ones that are helping middle class America and, and uh, even lo- a little bit lower poor people. They have less regulation. Uh, don't interfere with your lives. They don't want to tax everything like crazy. Yep. <laughs> uh, my my total political worldview has changed since vaping. Not only did I quit smoking. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. So um, where can our listeners find some more information about Missouri Smoke Free and I guess other um, sources of information um, for THR? Sure. So we're on the web. It's uh, MissouriSmokeFree.org. Uh, we're also on Twitter uh, at Smoke Free Mo M O on Twitter. Okay. Uh, you can also follow me. I'm very aggressive uh, with my other account. I was uh, vice president for Brave, which is exclusively for e-cigarettes. Uh, I still have that Twitter account, and it's uh, at Brave Media M O. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter and see my crazy antics with the Surgeon General. <laughs> And okay, awesome. And now, do you have any advice uh, that you'd give to our listeners? Uh, absolutely. So it's really easy to get involved with with uh, helping try to save this uh, product, life saving miracle product, vaping. Uh, it's really easy. Find out who is on your city council and set up a meeting. It's really easy. You call them up. You say, "Hey, I'm a constituent." Would you like to grab a cup of coffee or whatever you have and just tell your quit story? I quit smoking. This is how I did it. Or if you're a small business, this is what my business does. Because they may, they may not know that you're, you actually exist. 
Yeah. Uh, you can reach out to your county council people. You can reach out to your state reps, and they're very willing to take your phone calls. Uh, I do a lot of this in the in the uh, the off time that when the legislature's off. They're off in the summer. They're off for winter breaks, and uh, they'll be in their home districts. And so you can go out and have a cup of coffee, have a drink, and tell your story. When we start to get to the to the federal level, they they just kind of ignore you, but that's okay. You can still set up meetings. Try to, especially if you're a business person. Uh, I personally met with uh, uh, some of the House of Representatives. I've never met with any of the senators, but it is possible to get those meetings at the federal level and just tell your story. You're a real person. And the the other thing is vote, vote every tiny little election as well as the presidential election. And a lot of people don't know this. I didn't know this. But if you vote, you're creating a record. The, the uh, politicians, they can't see who you voted for, but they can see if you vote and how frequently you vote. And if you vote every time, you're a major uh, contributor to that person getting reelected. You're a threat to be reckon, reckoned with if you vote. It's really simple. Wow. Awesome. I did not know that myself, AJ. Well, um, that's fantastic. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, listeners, thank you for tuning into another episode of Voices of Vapors. For more podcasts, please visit heartland.org or search for the Heartland Daily Podcast on iTunes. For more information about tobacco harm reduction, please visit our alcohol and tobacco page at heartland.org.